Hello and welcome to This is the Story of Podcast, a podcast where we believe the stories from everyday people and leaders should be told. I am your host, Ben Hockham, founder of Illuminate Wealth Management. We have a special guest this week, Gary Boyer, one of my partners here at Illuminate. Gary discusses the life cycle of his financial planning business from 1986 to 2010, transitioning into retirement, and then finally becoming a partner in Illuminate Wealth Management in 2020. In this longer episode, Gary also discusses the financial planning industry at large and includes tips for families looking for their own financial planner. Gary has played an integral role in my life and career, and I'm excited to share his story with you. This is the story of Gary Boyer. Gary, welcome. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Of course, of course. So as you heard in the intro, Gary uh, has has had a long career and is now currently um, a partner at uh, our firm Illuminate Wealth Management. Um, but we're not going to start there. Uh, I want to hear your story. I want you to share you know, your experience and, and you've got a lot of wisdom to share. So why don't you just start uh, wherever you want, maybe at the beginning of, of how you started doing this? Well, I'll start a little bit before that in that once I got my bachelor's degree. I uh, entered the management training program for a credit card company and worked there for about 15 months and really did not enjoy that work at all. But uh, I was able to get out of that, but go to something that I enjoyed even less. And that is back in those days, you could get drafted. And go into the army uh, against your will. And that's what happened to me. Uh, I got to spend 13 months in scenic Southeast Asia, uh, which was even worse than working for a credit card company. Uh, Much worse. Uh, But after I finished that up, I got out of the army in February of 1972. Uh, I decided to go back to school and get an MBA, which I did in finance. And once I got that degree and was really ready to step out into the real world, uh, I joined a bank, uh, became a corporate banker, uh, making business loans to smaller and mid-sized Uh, companies. And I did that in various capacities over the next 13 years. And parts of it I really enjoyed. Uh, Parts of it I absolutely hated. And I decided that that was not what I was put on this earth to do. And so while I was still working for the bank, I enjoyed working with people, meeting new people, and so on, but uh, the big company, big bank, uh, corporate politics, and so on, uh, just was not my cup of tea. So I actually uh, spent two years while I was working full-time to get my certified financial planner uh, designation, or the, the CFP. And I completed that in, I believe, September of 1986, and really had been making plans for leaving the bank and decided that what I wanted to do because I loved finance, I loved working with people, helping people, 
And I had decided probably halfway through the CFP program that becoming a financial planner uh, was what I, I wanted to do. So in January of 1987, after I got my year-end bonus and uh, put that in the bank and saw that the check didn't bounce, uh, the next day uh, I gave my notice to uh, my bank and struck out on my own as a financial planner. So you decide to leave the bank, uh, give your notice right after the bonus hits the account. Uh, so yes. what happened next? Well, by that time, I had my CFP. Uh, at that point in time, I applied with the regulators uh, to get uh, my license to actually become a financial planner. That took about three months uh, for that to come through. And at, towards the end of March of 1987, I hung out my shingle. Uh, as a financial player, planner, Gary N. Boyer and Associates. And uh, I was on my way and it was the best business decision that I ever made in my life, uh, plain and simply. Uh, because getting into the financial planning uh, business, getting a chance to work with people, really see uh, in a concrete manner uh, how I could help people achieve uh, the dreams that, that they had, both short-term and long-term, and help them deal with financial problems mm -hmm. uh, that they had. And I, my entire career, got a tremendous amount of satisfaction uh, over that. And I think the big thing with financial planning is no matter how good you are technically, and being good technically is really a big deal, uh, I don't think you can't be a good financial planner if you're not good technically, but that's far and away from being the most important thing. It's all about people hmm. and uh, having empathy with people, being able to communicate effectively with people, uh, because if you're not able to communicate it, then how are you going to get them to do what you think is, you know, is the best way for for them to go, mm -hmm. but just empathy uh, and caring about people is what makes this, this business go. And that's gonna make you successful or not successful, no matter how technically competent you may be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that, that every new financial planner needs to learn quickly, <laughs> which yes. is, it's not about what you learned necessarily uh, from the technical side. There's a lot more um, emotions and, and psychology and art that goes into coaching clients through uh -huh. everything. A absolutely. And just learning that with different clients, like it is with everybody, that you have to t tailor your method of communicating to the people that you're working with. Mm -hmm. Because different people, they respond verbally uh, better, other people more visually, and you make sure you have more uh, charts and graphs and so on with those types of people. And other people, they just tune out if you come up with a bunch of charts and graphs because right. they respond more to listening and to, to verbal uh, there. So that, that's all a part of the communication. Absolutely. So um, you, you 
put out your shingle and you're widely successful overnight, right? Uh, not quite. Okay. <laughs> now, yeah, that's one of those things that uh, I was sorely abused uh, about because, you know, I went out, started uh, doing speaking engagements. Okay. Uh, going to the local optimist club and uh, church groups and so on. I hired a publicist. Okay. Uh, very early on. And the publicist helped me get in front of different groups to do speaking. She got me into the Sunday financial ed edition, really, of both the, the, the Chicago Tribune and the Chicago Sun-Times and got my picture in the paper and got interviewed and so on and so forth. And I thought as I was doing this sort of stuff in the first, well, within the first six months to a year, that people, you know, they'd hear me or see me and I'd hand out business cards and I'd, the publicist helped me to put a nice brochure together and these people would all be calling right in the next uh, month or so. And, you know, the phone didn't ring off the hook <laughs> and I'm saying, what's wrong? Because I thought I did pretty well. Mm -hmm. And uh, the business just didn't flow in the door. There was no line of people out the door, socially distanced or not. <laughs> uh, it just didn't work that way. Uh, and so the first couple of years were really tough. Mm -hmm. um, I, the plain fact is I, uh, well, the first entire year, I lived all off of my savings. Mm. Because uh, the income I had wasn't even enough to cover my business um, expenses, much less personal expenses. The second year, I was able to cover a small piece of, uh, of my uh, personal expenses, but it wasn't until the third year. And uh, in that third year, in the latter part of the second year, I actually would have a small number of people that called me and said, I went to that speech that you gave to my <laughs> church group a year and a half ago, and I thought you were good, and I just didn't need you at the time. And they'd come in for the initial get-together, and they'd show me the business card I'd given <laughs> them, and it was probably all crumpled up and uh, had been doodled on or whatever, but they saved it. Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, they didn't uh, decide to use it until a year and a half later. Uh, but, you know, they came in and that started to, to uh, snowball uh, somewhat because really from then on, the business was referrals. Mm -hmm. uh, that fortunately, I did a good enough job that people on their own, and talking to their friends uh, said, gee, I'm working with a guy that I think he's pretty good. You ought to go see him or talk to him. And the business built from there. It still took several years uh, to really uh, make it to the point where I felt like I was becoming successful. But uh, becoming an investment advisor, financial planner, is not a get-rich-quick scheme mm -hmm. uh, at, at all. You have to build your base with hard work and the trust 
that you build up with with your your clients. Mm-hmm. Um, one question that I've gotten a few times is, you know, did because so often uh, today it's planners specialize in one area or another, and the plain fact is, uh, my specialization when I started was anybody that could fog a mirror. <laughs> and their deposit check didn't bounce, Right. Uh, they were a client. That's what I specialized in. Mm-hmm. But, but seriously, uh, most of the people that came in, it was retirement planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, people started to get worried when they were, you know, 10 years or less before retiring. That was the big thing that brought people in. And that's really just whether it was by chance or whatever, what I really specialized in over mm-hmm. all the, the years was doing financial planning. I really think the key to uh, the success uh, and success of any financial planner was the financial planning process that I went through. And I was a very big believer in the comprehensive financial planning process of not just most people think of a planner just as a matter of doing investments. That's what it is because that's what concerns them is their investments. And if they're not comfortable with that, uh, they may want to go out and find somebody. But that's really only a part of it because we did tax planning with people. Uh, We did estate planning uh, with people. We did other things, uh, uh, planning for paying for college education, uh, really everything on uh, a comprehensive basis. And we would work with the other professionals that a client would have if they already had a tax guy. Well, uh, because I didn't do tax returns and I'm not an attorney. Uh, so uh, we would work with the clients, uh, people there, or if they needed a referral, we uh, had several estate planning and tax people that, that we would would work with. But really, in the end, the most important thing is making sure that the plan got implemented. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if we did this nice plan, and it didn't get implemented, the client had wasted all our money, I had wasted my time, and it was all worthless. So making sure that the plan got implemented, uh, really, in the end, uh, was, you know, was the most important uh, thing of what, uh, what I did. Absolutely. Um, so were there times uh, early on that you or, or somebody told you that uh, you should, you made the bad decision, you should just go back to the corporate world? Did you ever think that? Or were people telling you you were crazy early on? Well, yeah, absolutely. Because when I started in uh, really March of 87, when I became legal with the compliance, Um, A lot of people, I would go to the Institute of Certified Financial Planner uh, meetings, which was all for financial planners that were CFPs. Almost everybody in there were brokers or were financial planners that were selling commissioned products. There weren't that many fee-only planners out there, and I'll explain what that means in just a minute. But many people there told me, you couldn't make it as a fee-only planner. You have to be selling commissioned products because there's no other way you can really get paid. Mm -hmm. And I, from day one, 
uh, believe that that wasn't true. Uh, I did get to know a couple of other fee-only planners that were really helpful to me uh, there 33 years ago when, when I started. And I knew that if I couldn't make it as a fee-only planner, I guess I should just go sell used cars or something because I knew it was the only way that I wanted to be a financial planner mm. uh, because of the fact that uh, when you are selling a, a product, uh, there's a built-in conflict of interest. And um, no more than you would want a doctor who's going to get a commission off of the recommendation for your treatment plan, uh, I don't think you would want your plan for your financial plan to come from somebody that has uh, uh, a direct financial bearing on the way that they get paid. Now, I want to also say that the overwhelming number of brokers and financial planners that sell commission products are completely honest. And they are good people. They are honest people overwhelmingly. But you have to understand that there is a built-in conflict of interest. And unfortunately, over my 30 plus years in the business, I've seen that come up many a time. And unfortunately, I gained clients uh, over the years because they had been abused mm -hmm. by a planner or a broker that I felt took advantage uh, of them. But again, I'll say overwhelmingly, uh, financial advisors and brokers that sell commission products are completely honest and are looking out for their clients, uh, you know, as the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, um, it's it's still something that we see today even. Um, there's a lot more fee-only fiduciary planners that are out there that are putting their best interests of their clients first and not selling any products. I think it's still something like only 5% um, <laughs> that say they're financial planners, financial advisors actually are fee-only. And I'm sure back in 87, that was uh, even less of a percent, you know, maybe 0.1% or something. Yeah. Well, NAPFA, it's a national, national association of personal financial advisors. That is the fee only financial planning, uh, a professional organization in 1987. I was their 100th member. Okay. Uh, and of course, this was a nationwide organization. Now there were and there still are many fee only planners that don't belong to NAPFA. But you can see from that there weren't that many fee only people back in 1987. Right, right. Absolutely. So you, uh, you, you had some initial struggles as I think most um, startups do in any industry of getting clients and um, taking anybody that can show up and then kind of uh, tailoring your services to the people that you're getting. Uh, so tell me what happened next. Well, really the business grew and I uh, got to this point after a few years that I needed to hire people. Mm -hmm. and uh, started out with uh, hiring uh, uh, a, a, an assistant that uh, because there was too much uh, clerical paperwork and needed to have somebody besides me answering the phone right uh, and things like that so I 
hired a person. I hired uh, really a second person to help. And then uh, it got to the point where I hired uh, another full-fledged uh, financial planner, a uh, gentleman uh, that uh, was also a CFP and brought him in. And so because I had too many clients that I could handle by myself and I knew that uh, I needed to bring in an, another uh, planner. So I did that. How many, uh, how many clients do you think you had approximately, you know, around that time? Oh boy. Uh, now you're really going to test my memory here. Absolutely. Uh, ben. <laughs> but at the time that I brought uh, that planner in, maybe I had 35 to 40 okay. uh, clients. Uh, and of course, this was due to the fact that we were doing comprehensive financial planning, which is real time consuming if you do it right. Right. Uh, yeah, it's not, uh, so. it's not quick, easy, be done with it, sell a product yep. and move on. Yeah, <laughs> sort of that's work. an understatement. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and what, what year sure. was this? Uh, well, I brought in uh, the first uh, financial planner, 1996. Okay, I'm I'm gonna say I was right around there. Okay, yeah. great. So then, what happened? Well, we continued uh, simply to grow the business, and uh, the first person that I brought in as a financial planner, um, she left after. Uh, two and a half, three years or so, because she wanted to start her own firm. And I thought that was great. And she, in fact, uh, went off and, and did that, of course, as a fee-only planner. So I supported her mm -hmm. uh, in those efforts. And so I went out and found another financial planner. This was about 1998, maybe, okay. somewhere around there. And this uh, gentleman uh, worked for, uh, for uh, me for about three years. And with the job that he was doing, I was very happy with it. Uh, he was a go-getter. Uh, when he brought a problem to me, and it's probably one of the biggest things that I really liked about him, was when he brought a problem, he almost always came to me, here's what I recommend that we do and not just dumping a problem right. on my lap, uh, I think I have an idea to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And of course made life a lot simpler for me. And he had good ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, when we implemented things, uh, it was something that, uh, it was almost always good. Mm -hmm. And he was very good uh, technologically. And I'm not uh, a high, a quality technology guy, and Steve was really good with mm -hmm. working with the computers and setting things up and making sure software worked and, quite frankly, uh, mentoring me on new <laughs> software programs <laughs> right, and, right. Yeah, and things like that. But after three years, uh, I decided that Steve, uh, he was somebody I wanted to keep, and so I offered him a partnership uh, in the firm. And I felt that long range, he was somebody that I could sell a business to hmm. uh, and that. And he became a partner. I sold him 10% uh, of the business. Um, this happened in 2001 or two, somewhere 
about there. And so I now had a full-fledged uh, business partner uh, there. And the idea was that he would, would buy more of the business over time. And eventually he would buy uh, the business from me. And that was really my long-term retirement plan. Although certainly at that time, I had no interest in retiring anytime mm -hmm. soon. Yeah, for sure. So once you brought Steve in, it changed your, once you became a partner, it changed your relationship a little bit, I guess, uh, yep. went from, from that. And so how, how was, you know, dealing with that transition from employee to, you know, minority partner, was that an easy transition for you guys? Well, it, it really was because we'd already worked together for three plus years. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we pretty well know or knew our uh, strengths and weaknesses. And, uh, you know, Steve then had a seat on the board. Mm -hmm. uh, so I looked to him more for, you know, not just solving shorter term problems and things like that, but uh, we would uh, certainly plan together in longer term strategic mm -hmm. uh, types of things, which Steve really didn't particularly participate in before he became a partner. But I think we, had, we worked together well. Uh, we meshed, uh, I think, in several different levels, and that made it pretty easy, really. Great. Right. So I know that, um, you know, by the time we met, uh, that, that relationship had changed. So tell me what happened next. Yeah, a number of years uh, later, uh, really, I started to think seriously about retirement. And this was in when I was in my early 60s. The thing that really triggered that more than anything else is after the financial debacle of 2008 and 2009, Congress decided that what they wanted to do was to pass a whole bunch of new laws regulating financial planners and brokers and so on, primarily because of the Bernie Madoff uh, mm -hmm. scandal. And the problem that that presented for me and other small planning firms, and I think any financial planning firm, whether it was big or small, was there were many new laws and regulations and compliance things that quite frankly got to the point of being onerous for mm -hmm. a small planning firm because we had to spend much more time with the regulations, uh, spending much more time spending money on attorneys. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's a very specialized part of the attorney field. And so they're highly paid attorneys. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. You need uh, an attorney that specializes in this. But I was having to spend really multiples of what I used to have to spend with an attorney. Mm -hmm. They were there, used to be there for an advisory thing that I'd talk to them three or four times a year. Uh, and I knew I was on the right track and what I was doing, but I could do most of it. Well, that really ended. Mm -hmm. with that. And like I say, I was spending thousands and thousands of dollars a year on attorneys, plus all the time that it was taking, because it was just really, and I got to the point I felt it was onerous. 
And I decided that I really need to, to look at uh, combining with a larger firm that had a better ability to do the clock compliance, take the time, uh, and have, uh, as they're a bigger firm, uh, could financially uh, handle uh, doing more of, of the, the, the compliance. So I started looking around. Uh, I had participated uh, in a financial planning study group that was called the Q Group. And there were five or six other fee-only planning firms all in the Midwest that participated uh, in that group. And it was a great group of people. And I had been participating in that at, the, at that time for 14, 15 years. Uh, and so I approached one of the senior partners of one of the other firms that I had known uh, for 14 or 15 years. We had become friends uh, and I knew a lot about their firm. They knew a lot about me. And so there was, most importantly, we had a real uh, closeness and tightness in terms of the values of the firm and how they looked at and treated their clients, uh, the, which was really the same as my firm. And I knew what they, what they did, uh, the way that they handled investments with only a couple of small changes was exactly the same as the way that I did it. So I entered negotiations with them. Uh, this was in 2009. Uh, we talked for probably six months or so and working. They came in, did an audit uh, of my business um, and uh, talked about the terms and so on and so forth. Now, one important thing for me was, although I wanted to sell a business, I didn't want to retire mm -hmm. at that time. And so they also uh, felt exactly the same way because they just didn't want to buy the clients and the assets of the firm to them. It was important to keep me mm -hmm. uh, as well as it, it was important for me to keep me. Right. <laughs> and I had no interest in selling to a firm that it was going to be, you know, Gary, you're going to stay for 90 days and, you know, you're out of here. Right. So what happened is I uh, ran the Chicago office, which was my old firm. And uh, the first uh, two years, I continued to work full time. But as a part of the plan was in year three, I dropped down to working four days a week, then three days a week in year uh, four. And the last year, I dropped down to two days a week. Mm -hmm. Really important thing was when I sold the business, Deerfield had hired a young man who had worked for them uh, summers and I think over Christmas vacation for a couple of years. And he was graduating from college uh, and he joined me in Chicago. And I had the tremendous pl pleasure of mentoring him and helping him get started in the business. And that person is you. <laughs> and I will tell you, I probably shouldn't say this for the record, 
perhaps, but I enjoyed that a whole lot because you got it. You were very good in picking up the technical things, but much, much more important, as I've already said, is it's people and that people like working with you, you enjoy working with people. And I thoroughly enjoyed the five years that I worked with you and mentored you and then saw you blossom as a financial planner over that time. And when I retired after five years, um, you then ran the Chicago office. And I think that was a transition that I don't know how it could have gone much better than what it did. Yeah, I mean, it was it was great to learn from you and your experience, and and most importantly, as you've alluded to, the relationship you have with clients and the way it's the people first, and um, you know, doing the right thing and and doing what the clients need, not what the textbooks necessarily said is the, the right way to do something. And um, but I mean, it was it was a really great way that we structured the transition that it wasn't, as you said, 90 days, <laughs> it was yeah. five years. And um, right. that was, that was invaluable to me. And, and I think, you know, we still have clients today that were transitioned during that time and that you'd worked before. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I think for me, after the five years, um, I was 69 years old. And as much as I loved my 30 years or so career, uh, as a financial planner, um, it was time for me. I was ready to go out and travel more and have fun mm -hmm. uh, with the wife and spend more time with the grandkids, et cetera, et cetera. So on my end, and I knew the business and the clients were in good hands. Mm -hmm. That was probably the, the biggest single thing, but it was time for me mm -hmm. and I was, I was ready to, to go. So you're retired for a number of years, five years or so, and uh, <laughs> then what happened? Well, after that happened, you and I, who had become friends, uh, continued to stay in touch. And then, um, you know, a year ago uh, or more, you decided that you wanted to hang out your own shingle mm -hmm. uh, and to, to break away. And so, you know, we talked about that some, and uh, you needed some financial help to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And so I stepped up and decided to become an investor uh, in your business, again, showing what I thought of you and my trust in you. And so I became a part owner of Illuminate, and you decided that you wanted another person there to talk about investments and uh, help to put together investment uh, plans uh, and so on for clients and determine uh, asset allocations and so on. And of course, I was always managing, a, even after I'd retired, my own portfolio and some family money. Uh, from my sister and uh, brother-in-law and that. So I'd kept up with investments and it was a lot of fun and so on. Uh, so I've, since uh, uh, you uh, put out your own shingle, I have worked with you in the investment uh, area and hopefully have been helpful to you. 
Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about investments and things like that at the same time is very important to me, given you had already um, gone through the process, a you know, number of years before, but you had a startup and you had to get clients and you had to deal with uh, compliance and you had to deal with when do you hire and, and how do you treat clients and build all of that. And uh, just that wisdom has been invaluable to, to me and to the business. So thank you for that. Well, and I'll, I'll also add to that, that uh, I'm old enough, I'd been through some bear markets too. <laughs> uh, and I think I've provided you with some reasonable advice about getting right. through bear <laughs> markets. Yes, the 2020 is an interesting year to start a business, that's for sure. Uh, boy, isn't it though. Well, I started my business in 87. Well, true. Beginning of 87 and then October of 87, yep. Uh, came along. The only thing for me there was I hardly had any clients right. <laughs> uh, at, at that time, but uh, I, I learned some things from my first time through uh, a very uh, short bear market, but boy, uh, it that was, was quick bad. too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was that was a pretty bad, uh, what, couple weeks there. <laughs> uh, it yeah. sure was. Uh, really a bad one day. Yes, for sure. So, um, so I appreciate you going through your whole um, kind of career and how you got involved in financial planning and, and through some of the struggles. Uh, what else do you want to add? What else do you want to, um, you know, have our listeners here? Uh, I guess what I would just add maybe that would might be helpful to people that are listening to this, if they're thinking about hiring a financial planner or financial advisor, I think there's a few steps that they ought to go through. I think the first thing is if you make contact with a, a possible advisor to hire, they ought to look at the regulatory history of that advisor. There is a thing that the advisors are required by law to give to prospective clients that's called a form ADV. Mm -hmm. uh, and an advisor has to give that to you if they don't um, you want to run in the other direction because they've already broken the law. Uh, and there's also a website. And this is a website I believe you're going to put up in the notes. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have a link um, for, for all this information, anything else that you mentioned here in the show notes for the broker okay. check and everything else. Yep, I, that, that would be somebody that uh, a prospective uh, person to hire an advisor should look at that because it gives the uh, uh, information if they've had any run-ins with the SEC or the state or federal regulators. Uh, but I think the first meeting that you have with uh, the advisor, they should spend most of the time asking questions of you and not spending nearly as much time talking about how great they are and how good of a job that they're going to do. Yeah, they uh, certainly have the right to do that, should do that, but most of their time should be asking you questions about your goals, objectives, your concerns about everything. If they don't do that, I would say that's probably not somebody you really want to hire because they aren't that interested uh, mm -hmm. in you. They just want to get you in there so they can, can uh, uh, get a client. But how do they do business? Does that need, meet your specific needs and goals? 
Um, how do they get paid? I won't go through the fee only versus commission again, but I think you've got to be uh, comfortable with the way that, that they get paid. And again, the way that they're gonna approach your situation, I think that's really important. Absolutely. You know, we have a wide, wide range of, of guests on uh, our podcast. And I think it's really good to hear someone who has uh, built a business, you sold a business, you retired and, and now are a, a minority owner in a business again and, and being involved. And just to go through um, all of that that you've and, and hear all the successes and struggles and everything that you've gone through. So I appreciate you spending time here. I always uh, finish with all of our podcast guests, just have uh, a question, which is, you know, right now we have a, there's a lot of reasons to be worried about the future and to uh, be concerned about where things are going. Um, you can take that however you want, but I also think there's always a reason for hope. And so what is something that you, that gives you hope uh, for the future as you look ahead? The fact is, as a country, we've been through this before. Mm -hmm. It's not the first time. I'm old enough to remember uh, the Vietnam War and that I unfortunately participated in, but I remember the Kent State shootings and the huge division within the country. And guess what? We are a great country. We got through that and we're going to get through this and we may have a year or two years you know i have no idea the time period uh that is not going to be easy of course this time really instead of a war we have a pandemic mm -hmm. uh, different type of a of a problem but it's a huge problem and it's part of what's tearing us apart because how to deal with this has become a political issue mm -hmm. Uh, un unfortunately. But again, this isn't the first time. And I would like to refer uh, people that are listening to this, that there is a book called The Fourth Turning. It's by a gentleman by the name of Neil Howe. And I think you will put up uh, on a the notes yep. uh, a link to that book. But what that book talks about is that there is a recurring theme based upon generations of people where we have times just like what we're going through now, as well as uh, other uh, historically relevant times in which there are great comparisons uh, between the times and you know for example one comparison with our time uh, right now is the Great Depression and uh, we've had other ones of this and we came through it and in this book he talks about how uh, over time we will get through this and the next generation of people that were raised during this tough time They've known about this from their earliest days and they don't like it and their generation will move us forward uh, into to other, a, a better future. And I believe that that is exactly what will happen. We are a great country. We've got, you know, big challenges ahead of us. We have leadership issues, but I believe just as in the past, uh, we will have leaders that will emerge from this 
and will in fact be or become very good leaders. And they're probably people that we don't know their names today, hmm. uh, but they will come along. And so I have hope. Lastly, there is so much good stuff in technology that is coming along. We all know how technology is changing our world. I think we're in the second or third inning really of technological achievements and I'll include uh, health care, biotech and that, that is gonna improve all of our lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's gonna be coming, we're seeing it. It's gonna get even better as we go into the future. That's great that uh, I, I always enjoy hearing the answers and it's a great way uh, to end and, and I like all that you said and I haven't read the book. I'll definitely check it out as well. Um, Gary, it's been an honor to have you on guest and, and to have you as a mentor and a partner. Um, but thanks for being on and, and this has been fun. Ben, I really enjoyed it. Thank you much for inviting me. Thanks for listening to this episode of This is the Story of Podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or other podcast platforms. If you have guest suggestions, you can send an email to contact at thisisthestoryofpodcast.com. You can also find all of our episodes and notes on thisisthestoryofpodcast.com. Our podcast is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice or endorsements. Thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>